hopefully my bandwidth is nice as well. I did do a little test run of this yesterday. Hopefully my microphone is nice. I did a little test run of that as well because I was having dramas with that too. This is the, oh man, where do my dramas with mics are? This is the Rode uh, shotgun mic. What do they call it? Um, like Vodcast LE acronym, acronym thing. This is the one I had a lot of problems with, uh, with feedback on or some sort of interference and I had to like open the road app and set it at 4800 kilohertz instead of 4100 something kilohertz and then plug the mic in and then it's fine. Thanks Steve, that's what I wanted to hear, sounding clear, very <laughs> good. I, uh, I originally was going to do like the little road wireless go ones where you plug like one in into there and then the other one's wireless and then you can put the lapel mic on and every time I put the lapel mic on it failed even though it worked perfectly at home the last time I did this from there. So. Go figure. Anyway, it works. No one cares about that. Everyone wants to look at this. I'm going to talk more about where we are at the end of this video because I appreciate for some people they're not here to look at beautiful sunshine and plants. They want to be cold and miserable somewhere. Uh, so I'm going to talk more about that later on, but just very, very briefly, this is Hamilton Island. This is in the Whitsundays. So this is the very southern end of the Great Barrier Reef. And yeah, it's, it's kind of awesome. It's kind of amazing. Like it's, it's really, really nice. It's what's, you're gonna hate this. What's the temperature here? According to watch, 27 degrees at the moment, 6.30 in the morning. Uh, and it doesn't get a whole lot hotter than that. It got to like uh, 31 or something last couple of days, but then it's humid and everything as well. I'm gonna talk more about that later on because I wanted to make sure that I kicked off talking about sponsors because sponsors are really, really important, particularly in this day and age. So Collide, same sponsor as last week. Got Collide back again. Collide, what's endpoint security for teams that value privacy? Privacy is a massive one. I'm going to talk a little bit about that today as well. Transparency and employee productivity. Try Collide for free today. They do have a link to a free demo there as well. It's something I really like to encourage sponsors to do. They actually like give people something <laughs> that they can go and play with. And it's due to sponsors like Collide that I can actually... I guess partly do what I do here today but also not have to do the thing which I used to do so much which was like just traveling around the world which I kind of can't do at the moment anyway for various various COVID reasons which we might come back to later on as well depending on how long this chat goes for. So anyway big thanks to Collide go and have a look at them they're up there in the top of my website and of course they will be adorning the description of this VOD when I put that out as well. I'm going to call it a VOD now. Having a look at some of the comments so I've just for context, like I've got my iPad down here. It's just a bit easier to see the, the rest of the comments. Uh, who's here? Well, Alistair from the UK. Fritz. Fritz is looking good, or is I looking good? Christian from Norway. So Charlotte is inside speaking to her father in Norway at the moment. I understand it looks very different there at the moment compared to her, which is quite different. Uh, and Rod, Merry Christmas peoples. Yeah, Christmas, jeez, that's tomorrow. I'll talk a bit more about that later on as well when I talk about all the fun stuff here. But let me start with the thing that, which was actually also kind of fun, but really, really important, which is this whole um, Pwn Passwords thing. So, a little bit of background. Pwn Passwords was something I released, uh, when was this? Must have been about 2018, I think. And back then, what I was doing a lot of is talking about uh, modern authentication. So this was not too long after the NIST guidance and the NCSC guidance as well around how we should think about passwords in the modern era. 
And I used to just talk, right? I'd travel and I'd say, you know, look, uh, you, you go to, let's say you go to a website, this would be like at a conference full of people. And there's a, you know, let's say 500 people or something in the room. And you go, okay, you go to a website and the website says, uh, the website, the, the password that you're trying to use, which is your same crappy all lowercase character one, that password is no good. You need to create a stronger password. What do you do? And people would go, oh, like they'd look around and they'd look a bit nervously. And then eventually like someone would go, sorry, there's bugs here. So someone would go, you just capitalize the first letter. And everyone kind of laughs nervously because they're like, ah, oh, crap, someone else has figured it out. And now that's my password scheme gone. And then it'd be like, okay, so now you've got like a capital and lowercase. Now you've got to have a number. What do you do? You put a one at the end, non-alphanumeric, you put an exclamation mark at the end. And it was just sort of a fun way of getting to, G'day Mitch from Canada. It was a fun way of getting to the, uh, I guess, recognition that arbitrary password complexity criteria just really doesn't work. Uh, same thing with mandated rotation. Uh, what do you do 90 days after you change your password? Well, you just increment the number at the end. So I think everyone knows that. And NIST was, I guess, a little bit brave to sort of come out and say, um, this is something that we should no longer do. Cockatoo. <laughs> so, and uh, yeah, straw, straw wave, straw, straw wave. The last comment. Uh, that dang, that's some view. Yeah, like not a backdrop either. Like real, real proper view, which is really nice. So anyway, this comes out and says, look, stop doing that stuff. Uh, instead, among many other things, instead, you should start blocking known bad passwords from previous breach corpses. Uh, and I, I sort of saw that and I went, yeah, like this all makes a lot of sense. If the password has been seen before, it really doesn't matter how many uppercases and lowercases are in there. Uh, that is now a, a higher risk password because it's probably out there alongside someone's email address as well. And then you sort of go, okay, well, conversely, if someone has, say, a passphrase and it's all lowercase and it has some spaces, is that a bad password? Probably not compared to most of the ones that people were getting away with that passed arbitrary complexity criteria. So this was sort of like really good practical advice. But when they said you should check against known bad passwords from previous breach corpuses, they don't give them to you. And it's like, well, I got a lot of passwords. I got a lot of passwwords and have I been pwned. So I pushed out uh, a version one with all of the passwords that I had. Now, something important, and then this relates through to what we're doing with the NCA and FBI as well. Something very important here is that those passwords, when they're extracted from different data breaches, they're not always, for one for a better term, clean. So we're talking here about passwords that had plain text storage or data breaches that had passwords in plain text storage. Either that or data breaches that had passwords that people had subsequently gone and cracked. LinkedIn was all unsalted SHA-1, but there are 100 million plus plain text passwords out there because people took it upon themselves to crack them and then circulate them. So they're in plain text. That the, the problem there is that when these passwords are extracted, and in fact, when they're dumped from online services in the first place, how likely are people to actually parse all that out correctly? You know, hackers aren't always great at data formatting. So anyway, a bunch of these passwords that I had, several hundred million we kicked off with, had passwords, I'm air quoting for people listening to the podcast later on, and I'm seeing the comments about how awesome it looks here. <laughs> As I said earlier on, in case you're doing it a bit later, I'm going to talk about this place after I talk about all the cyber stuff. 
So you end up with all these passwords where a bunch of them are just not dumped cleanly. And instead of just having like the password column from a row, you've got the entire row. So you've got the email address and the date of birth and the sexuality, like depending on the nature of the service. And I didn't want to chuck those in a corpus that people could then download because that obviously is a, a bit of a worry. Privacy-wide, come back to the Clyde angle. Privacy is important. So, a SHA-1 hashed them. And we don't want a SHA-1 hash passwords in terms of the way we actually store passwords in a live system. We don't want a SHA-1 and we don't want a SHA-1 on Sultan. We want some form of key derivation or key stretching. We want a bcrypt or a pdkdf2 or something like that. So this is not the way to store passwords in the live system. However, what it did do is it gave obfuscation to the passwords that I did add to the system such that if somebody else wanted to go and check a password against it, they can just show and hash the password. They have, for example, when someone logs in, resets their password registers, and if they match, you're good to go. And because it is extraordinarily unlikely that someone will be able to construct a string which might be the whole row from a database that didn't get parsed out properly and it has all the PII and hash that, it gives anonymity and protection and privacy to the original data. So anyway, without going into the full history lesson, that went out. Version 2 went out, which allowed for an API that was entirely K-anonymity-based. So this was the really good work that Janard Ali, who previously worked for Cloudflare, did a lot of this done with Cloudflare support. That API started getting a lot of requests to the point where, when I pushed this blog post out a couple of days ago, we're at 1.26 billion requests a month to that API, which is super, super cool. Uh, and it's funny, actually, some of the, the NCA folks, uh, after I loaded the data I'm going to talk about in a moment, asked the other day, they said, look, can you, can you give us a bit of an overview of who's using it so that we can sort of you know, inform management and they know how the data's being put to use? And I was like, no, nope. <laughs> no, like literally I can't. I, I don't know. I do not know who is using it. In fact, the only way I can figure out who's using it, unless someone comes out and tells me, well, that's because two ways. Ooh, palm tree branch. The only way, the only two ways is usually the API is called server-side. So there'll be like an AWS IP or something like that hitting the API, which is fine. If there's no user agent or anything, I just do not have anywhere near enough information to tell who's actually hitting it. Occasionally, it's called client-side. And in fact, in this blog post, I, I showed how one company called Hims, which is like a, a men's cosmetics or something like that, is using the service. And the only way I was able to find them is I went to my Cloudflare dashboard and they can report on the referrer. And it looked like there were a whole bunch of referring requests coming from Hims. And then I went to their website and I went to their login or registration. And I was like, oh yeah, I can see the requests literally from the client, from the browser, which passes that UA string. Uh, and and the, obviously the referrer header. So I don't know who's using it, which is cool. It's nice. It's nice not knowing. It's less information for me to lose. So anyway, fast forwarding to now with the popularity of this service, I did announce earlier this year that we're going to build an ingestion pipeline for the, in fact, it's funny that I say we, I, <laughs> I, but then it became we because the masses, we're going to do this ingestion pipeline for the FBI uh, in an open source fashion. So I've got open source, it's in the .NET Foundation. FBI had some requirements to start feeding in passwords because they find a lot of passwords in the course of their investigation. Uh, Stefan from Iceland came on board to help. Uh, so now I guess it's kind of we, I don't, I don't pay him anything. I sent him some stickers, maybe that counts. Um, <laughs> but 
coordinated the community. So what we've been doing over roughly the last six months is literally just coordinating the community to get Have I Been Pwned's pwned passwords in an open source ready kind of fashion. Uh, heard the sheep of PRs and things that came in, uh, upgrade all the technology stacks so everything's latest and greatest.net and latest and greatest Azure services and like everything's just perfect now. And now we finally have that out. So we now have the pipeline for the FBI defeating more passwords. And throughout this process, we got to this point where some NCA folks popped up and said, um, we've got a lot of passwords. Uh, you know, like if the FBI is doing this, why don't we do this as well? And they actually provided a corpus of over 500 million in total. And they're about, I think, 221 million off the top of my head that I had not seen in Have I Been Pwned before. So we managed to, uh, we managed to get a version 8 of Pwned Passwords live with this entire corpus from the NCA, which brings the total count and have I been pwned, I think, to about 830 million passwords, which you can go and download for free if you want to, or show one, or NTLM. You can download them as NTLM too, because people like to use them to check against their Active Directory environment. And now the pipeline is there for the FBI to start feeding in as well. So I guess at some point we need to take a look and have a look at how many new passwords are there. But I was just very, very happy to get that out by the end of the year. It was it was harder than expected <laughs> for many reasons, but we got it out. It's totally free. It's owned by everyone. You can take a copy of it and do whatever you want with it. Um, there's no, I saw someone, in fact, I think I put this in my notes. Someone tweeted me the other day and they're like, I really hope you're making some money out of, uh, out of all these passwords. I was like, no, I'm not making any pass, any money out of the passwords. Um, but I do have, sponsors like Clyde, which again is how this whole thing makes sense. Uh, and I like the way all of this is panned out because the whole pwn passwords and have I been pwned itself and everything else always started that way, right? Like it was always just a just a fun thing that I thought would be useful. And then later on things happened that have allowed me to come to places like this and, and talk about sitting on hundreds of millions of passwords provided by three-letter law enforcement agencies. Shit, that's weird, isn't it? Wow, what a place to be. It's cool. It's cool. Don't get me wrong. You know, look at the comments here, and I'm going to start talking about this environment here, but feel free to ask anything related to either passwords or how many things in this image right now might be likely to eat you. Uh, I'll start naming them shortly. Uh, Fritz, beautiful Christmas present for you, a group of global security conscious volunteers, users like me. Much appreciated. Oh, cool. So this is the, the poem passwords. Yep. Merry Christmas. Here's 830 million passwords. <laughs> Go for it. Um, <laughs> Alistair's just made a comment. I, th I, I suspect this is like said George in the jungle style, but it effectively boils down to Scott, Scott, Scott on the ski slopes. Watch out for that tree. Um, it appears that Scott Helm has crashed into another tree. <laughs> Shouldn't laugh. In, in Norway. I say another because we were there. Uh, in fact, he and Charlotte and I and Ari uh, and our 12-year-old son were there almost three years ago and I have a great video of him not crashing into the tree but stuck effectively in the tree after the crash trying to get out and it was a little bit turtle on back style thing if you can imagine that uh, and he does appear to have crashed into another tree today which I found funny he's not badly hurt uh, BB says I think I need that view as my zoom background yeah I know it's nice isn't it 
So let me start talking about where this is and, and what this is. And, uh, and then if people have other password questions, you can ask them. I think everybody around about this point in time of this year is pretty chilled out and not really too formal. So of the things that will kill you, like the mosquito, which is literally... There you go, got him. One less. Literally sitting there on my arm. Shouldn't kill you. We don't have malaria here in Australia. I, th I think there are some spots that might have dengue fever. But... Um, but uh, for the most part, we're okay with mosquitoes. The other things around here that are kind of nasty is a few wasps, um, like really big fuckers, like sizable wasps. Uh, that has not been a problem so far. The main thing is that as beautiful and as awesome as that water looks out there, and it, it's, it's, it's the most perfect sort of picture postcard water, you can't really get in it. <laughs> and the main reason you can't get in it is we get stingers. So from about a little bit further south of here and then north, and as I said at the beginning, uh, this is the southern end of the Great Barrier Reef. It's called the Whit Sundays. And if you look at the Whit Sundays on, on a Google Maps or something like that, you'll see there's just loads and loads and loads of islands. So we're on an island. That's a different island. It's another island over there. Islands everywhere. Uh, if you're following along my travels a year ago, we were actually on Hayman Island, which was just over there, uh, a smaller island that was more suitable for the kids. So the problem here on this, uh, in fact, all the Great Barrier Reef area, is at this time of year, you have things like Irukandji and box jellyfish. And they are like seriously, seriously, seriously bad jellyfish, as in you know, people might die if you get stung by an Irukandji. So I've been posting like a Twitter uh, a Twitter thread just with all this epic stuff from around here and there's a photo like down there at the beach it's basically like don't go in the water now having said that like you can you can sort of walk around ankle deep I did see people swimming in there the other day talking to the um, one of the, the guys who works here yesterday he said uh, there's there's been something like only two incidents over the last couple of years that he's been here uh, and then it can be very mild and it can be life threatening so you just don't take any chances now, of course, it's the Barrier Reef, people do want to dive, so for people that do want to swim, you end up wearing just a full lycra suit. So imagine like a rash vest, but it covers, uh, I'm trying to remember the ones we were wearing on the Barrier Reef a year ago, it covers sort of your, your hands, there's a hood over the top of it, like you look, you, you literally look like Gumby. You know, I said this yesterday to Charlotte, she's like, what's Gumby? Some of you know who Gumby is. It, like it, it, it doesn't look cool. You're there on this like amazing beach, this cool scenery, and then like a full black lycra suit. So anyway, you can go in the water, you just have to wear that. Uh, we're going to go, hopefully if the wind comes up today, we're going to go for a catamaran. Um, we won't be wearing it for that. I'm going to not tip the catamaran over. <laughs> I do sail, I don't think I've tipped a boat over for a long time. So hopefully that'll, that'll be okay. But you know, you can do that sort of thing. We were kayaking around yesterday, that's fine. There are sharks, but not too many. They're like black tip reef sharks, uh, and they're not the bad ones. Uh, most of our bad sharks are further south. I think most of our shark attack incidents are a long way further south. They're like New South Wales, um, South Australia, Western Australia, things like that. Not so much, uh, not so much up here. And certainly, people go diving and they see um, reef sharks and things like that. So that's okay. Uh, crocodiles, possibly here. Certainly, when you get further up north, I know they go as far down as Rockhampton. I've seen signs in Rockhampton for crocodiles. Uh, but particularly as you get further up north near Cairns, which is another few hundred kilometres away, uh, that's, yeah, you start to get crocodiles on the beach kind of thing. Not so much here. So this island's called Hamilton Island. It's it's probably the 
most well-known in the, the Whitsundays. My first trip here, and, and part of the reason it's my first trip, is that we wanted to come to this place now, which is called uh, Qualia. And Qualia is, um, this sounds dirtier than what it is, but it's an adults-only <laughs> adults resort. Um, so, you, well, almost adult. You've got to be 16 or older to come here. And we, we split the time with their kids uh, and their mother and we alternate Christmases. So they were with us for Christmas last year. Uh, they're not this year, so we sort of went, we're not going to have you for Christmas and that's going to be really sad. So we decided to go somewhere really, really, really nice so we felt less sad. <laughs> so we'd come here. And if I pick this up for a moment and turn around, like this is our pavilion just there. Uh, so that's what it looks like. And it's literally our own self-contained place like we don't share a wall with anyone else or anything like that uh, that's our plunge pool and, and what's super cool about it is that everything is designed such that nobody can see in at all like we can see the top of a roof down there but otherwise we can't see anything you can walk around naked here all day long if that is your thing uh, other than maybe the mega yachts that park out there sometimes and I'm over. do they have binoculars who knows who cares honestly I've got bigger things to worry about in life so uh, Qualia is like an adult only place, um, just like epically, epically good food. They've got like a beach club down there, which is just a big pool and then, you know, paddle boards and catamarans and, and things like that. Uh, shit, that was a big wasp. <laughs> Life in Australia. It's just like being at home. Then they've got another, uh, another restaurant area up the top here with just these like epic views over all the ocean and, you know, sunset views and things like that. So, so that's really neat. When you check in here, you get you get two keys you get a room key and you get a golf buggy key so everybody gets a golf buggy and um, basically Hamilton Island is just covered in golf buggies so this is not the only resort this is a substantial place but there's lots of other places there are there's even a school here so there are like permanent residents of the island here but then there's lots of other types of accommodation a lot of sort of self-contained accommodation there's a sort of a high-rise kind of I'm thinking more Waikiki style beach um, accommodation over the other side there so there's lots of stuff like that uh, but everyone gets around on golf carts the only cars here seem to be commercial vehicles for like servicing laundry and things like that so you literally have dedicated golf buggy parking out there in the turndown service each night they come plug your golf buggy back in to charge it back up so yesterday we were just like cruising around the island just golf bugging uh, just going and seeing the different scenes which is which was kind of cool um, and what did we see? Like we went, went to some lookouts, saw those, which was good. Found a go-kart track, so we went over the other side near the airport, went go-karting yesterday morning, which was, they're actually pretty good carts. Pretty good cars, pretty good track. Um, happy with my time. <laughs> so they got a, they got a leaderboard with like, um, a whole bunch of famous, like proper famous people. Uh, yeah, mostly race car drivers and things like this. And I, I ended up like one-tenth of a second off a five times world superbike champion, Mick Doan, for those who follow. So I was like, okay, that's not too bad. Now I want to go back. <laughs> I want to go back and give that, give that a bit more of a, a bit more of a nudge. So that was good fun. Today I think we're going to go for a, for a hike. So they've got some mountains and things. Um, we'll drive the golf buggy somewhere over there, park, hike up the mountain, see what we see. I'm going to keep adding to that Twitter thread as well. So as my out of office said before I put it on, if you're somewhere cold and you want to live vicariously. <laughs> through us go and watch the twitter thread because there's some epic epic shots in there yeah i'm gonna have a look at the comments here uh <laughs> star wave 
what the heck is a stinger jellyfish? It, it, like, it's literally that. Uh, I don't know how to spell Irukandji jellyfish, so just Google it box jellyfish. Uh, and they're, like, they're super, super nasty. It's just, like, the worst possible thing that you could get stung by. I think that'd probably be worse, potentially worse, than getting a, a little bit nibbled by a shark. Because if you get a little bit nibbled, at least you can see what it is, and, you know, you patch it back up. And But, uh, yeah, you, you can, like, literally die from... Uh, Irukandji, so they're, they're pretty nasty. It's uh, another question in here. Uh, seen any drop bears? Uh, no, but be drop bear aware. Drop bear aware. <laughs> Haven't seen any of those. There's um, what else do we actually expect to see here? You hear a lot of noises. Actually, what we do see a lot of is uh, cockatoos. I love cockatoos. I think they're hilarious. Like the proper characteristic birds <laughs> so if you're not familiar with the cockatoo they're the ones who are all white they've got a big yellow crest uh, a lot of people I don't think it happens as much now I remember as a kid people would have them as pets like literally in a cage which which does seem a bit cruel but there's a lot of cockatoos flying around here we were having uh, breakfast at the at the area up here yesterday morning and they'd like they'd fly up because everything's very open here um, so like a lot of tropical areas I think I saw a comment somewhere else about this being like Malaysia it's a lot like the climate of, of Southeast Asia where it is uh, warm and humid and things tend to be very open to get a breeze through so anyway the cockies fly in and they'd sit there and they'd try and inch closer and closer and closer to the food at breakfast uh, and we saw yesterday one of them managed to get close enough to steal someone's muffin so that's them now right they're screechy so this cocky steals this guy's muffin and just like flies up into a tree and just sits there with his muffin in his, in his hand. Uh, not really a part of the natural diet, baked goods. So we, we would prefer not to give the birds the muffins or sugar or things like that. But they are entertaining to watch. Uh, so no, no drop bears. Christian Anderson says, regarding pwn passwords, since the files contain a count of how many times it's been seen, how do you count in passwords provided from FBI and NCA? Two-part answer. Uh, number one, you can go and read the open source code yourself and you'll see. Uh, second part, not to make you go and do work, is is every time we get a password in that ingestion pipeline, so it, it takes a, a request body, which includes a collection of passwords, and for every one of those passwords in the collection, there is a count. So for argument's sake, if the FBI has a password that they want to submit, and they say, look, uh, and, and keep in mind, what they're submitting is an NTLM SHA-1 hash pair. So we've got two hashes coming in and a count. So effectively three values for the one password. So it'll be like SHA-1 hash, NTLM hash, five. And then when it comes into the back end, we just need to decide, is this one that's seen before, in which case we're going to increment the count, or is this something brand new, in which case we're going to add a brand new record to the NTLM corpus, to the SHA-1 corpus, and we're going to set the count at five. And that's, that's it. Like, it's super, super, super simple. We are kind of curious to see how this goes the next time someone turns around they have a couple of hundred million passwords. <laughs> we're, not, we're not entirely sure about that. Um, we did have, of course, we have done a bunch of testing with this. But the good thing about this as well is that in terms of the ingestion piece, if, if we have any hiccups or dramas along the way, we've got a lot of rollback mechanisms. We've got, we've got like point in time restore on blobs so that we can just roll back to a last known good state and things like that. Uh, but if, let's say, the availability of the ingestion pipeline isn't 100% and something's down for a day and we have to fix it, 
doesn't really matter. Like, I've been going about a year between some major releases anyway when I'd, I'd manually release New Corpus. So that's... Um, that's quite handy. Now, incidentally, before I then come back and start to read more comments, probably about the environment here and everything else, uh, one of the things that we were very cautious about is the rollover. So how do we roll over from Pwn Passwords prior to Pwn Passwords new? And just to give you a sense of how much stuff required rolling over, uh, we, we really had a completely new code base for the public search. Uh, now, I... I effectively forked off the original Pwn passwords, put that out in the public domain, it's like here it is, some of the code's a bit crappy, you know, go and make some PRs. Everything got upgraded, .NET version got upgraded, all the uh, Azure libraries and things got upgraded, a whole bunch of other optimizations were done. Uh, all the code got built, great, now what do we do? And we didn't want to disrupt the live running slot that we had, uh, on the Azure function. We also decided we didn't really want to just create a new slot and configure that and then switch because I already actually had a slot. Uh, I had like a staging slot before so I could push out to staging, do tests there and then flip over. So what we ended up doing is just creating a brand new Azure Functions app. Uh, and there's sort of, there's something nice about having a bit of, bit of clean space, you know, no legacy decisions. Brand new Functions app, got it all deployed there, did the two slot thing so we can we can now push into GitHub, deploy from GitHub into one slot, do any testing or anything there, and then when we're ready, we can switch. But we then had effectively this new functions app and the old functions app. So we had to do that rollover. Oh, there you go, there's a cocky just up there. See on the roof. They are funny creatures. He's probably looking for a muffin <laughs> right now. So anyway, had the two slots. And we also had to figure out what to do storage accounts. So we had a V1 Azure storage account which was um, which was fine, like that had lasted well. Uh, there's now a V2. He honestly thinks I've got a muffin. It's getting closer. <laughs> I love those birds. Anyway, so it wanted us to upgrade to V2. Long story short, we ended up just doing an in-place upgrade of V1 storage to V2 storage. That was absolutely seamless. Uh, literally says there will be no downtime, no problems. That gives us access to some new features in V2. And then for, uh, for the app service rollover, or the, or the functions uh, rollover, we just literally rolled DNS. So we went from this one over to this one, job done. And everything, as best we could tell, went really, really smoothly. Now, part of the reason it went really, really smoothly is that the case hit ratio was sitting at like 99.6%. Cocky's gone. 99.6%. So we really only had to worry about like 0.4% of requests might get through Cloudflare, go to the origin. I think we had a period of probably 30 seconds and there's probably a better way to do this, but like rolling DNS when you have to migrate a domain from one Azure resource to another Azure resource was a bit unpleasant. It's like remove it from the original Azure resource, then add it to the new, the new Azure resource. And it just felt like there was a period in there where could have had a problem. But no errors reported on the Cloudflare dashboard, which is good. Certainly no one contacted us and said anything was wrong. As far as we know, everything just went 100% smoothly, and I have not had one single email from anyone about any problems at all, which is great. I have also not had anyone comment, and I was wondering if this had happened, not had anyone comment that suddenly the response size is so much larger than what it was before, because we've gone from I think it was about 613 million passwords to about 830 million passwords. 
uh, and we're you know we're, we're sort of like a one third kind of uptick, just about, isn't it? The response size is larger because the way the canonymity works is we're searching by the first five characters of a SHA-1 hash, which gives us 16 to the power of five different possibilities, which is just over a million. And you've then got to take that 830-odd million and divide it by roughly a million. So you've got 800-something results coming back in each search now instead of 600-something results before the response size is larger. But it's all broadly compressed from Cloudflare, so the actual on-the-wire response size, yes, of course, has to be larger, but not significantly. No one seems to have had problems having a response size come in that's quite a bit larger. No one has raised any concerns about whether the padding is now sufficient to cater for the potential broader range in response sizes. So no one said anything, which is... okay. No, people have said a lot of nice things, <laughs> but nobody has said anything about problems, which is good. All right, let me go back to these comments for a bit. Um, Rod's asking about tennis. So, no, we, we thought about tennis. I, I actually had a lot of pain from tennis the other day, so I hadn't played for a few weeks because of life commitments. <laughs> That's another story. Uh, and then I played... I played on a Wednesday night, must have been Wednesday last week, and I played my first match and played absolutely horrendously. I played my second rat match and played absolutely fantastically. And I went, that's it, I'm stopping on a high. <laughs> this is just social tennis. Went home uh, and I had a huge amount of pain in my, in my arm. And I, I think I've commented before on, on this channel and other places that uh, because I've done a lot of computers, over the years, I have had RSI, and I have, for well, probably the last 20 years, been really conscious about ergonomics, you know, keyboards, chairs, posture, getting up, walking around, all the rest of it. But um, I get very, very tight muscles across the back of my right shoulder, and then when I go and play tennis, if I haven't, maybe as I'm not warming up enough as well, and I do go and see physio for this as well, but I end up with a lot of, a lot of really weird pain that sort of begins in the shoulder, but you only feel it like in the hand. And like imagine just, just along like your little finger and your, your other fingers right next to it just having this very sharp pain. And, and that was literally keeping me up quite a bit at night. So I'm just, I'm just giving tennis a little bit of a rest until after my holiday so that I don't end up in pain. And then I will um, I'll ease back into it a bit more gently, I think. Alejandro says, is this your first time visiting there? So yes, this is my first time to this island. It's my second time to the Whit Sundays. Uh, and, and again, I was explaining a little bit earlier on the Whit Sundays are a whole bunch of different islands. We were somewhere over there for um, just before Christmas last year with the kids as well. So we were over at Haymond Island. This is Hamilton Island. There's lots of different islands. Incidentally, so just over the other side of the island that you literally see here is Whitehaven Beach. And Whitehaven Beach consistently gets rated the best beach in the world because it's just got this, like, insanely white sand, which you'll see in the photos. What you can't see in the photos is it's very, very fine, and it almost feels like like walking on talcum powder. Uh, so we went over to that last year when we were here. It's beautiful. It's very pretty. You can't get in the water. <laughs> There's not really any waves. It's nice to cruise around on a boat or something like that, but I don't think we, we have the need to go back there again this time. Uh, James has said live stream turns into a cockatoo interview. Yeah, kind of. Daniel, good to hear you using Azure considering the recent AWS issues. I have no problems with any of the major cloud providers. Obviously, I've got a Microsoft Affinity, but obviously, 
AWS does amazing stuff as well. But I, I think with what we saw with, with AWS, and that didn't impact me directly, but I heard other people <laughs> having various problems with it. We've had problems with Azure before, and there's been problems with Google's cloud. and like, like just, just pick a name, and there have been problems in the past. And I think maybe part of our part of our folly is to think that just by putting something in the cloud means that it's always going to be available. Now, it almost always is. Like in fairness, if we have a look at availability, particularly thinking about, let's take something like home passwords. The fact that it's getting routed through Cloudflare, who have had their own issues in the past, but massively, massively cached and all of the underlying parts of the architecture, the, the, the web front end, which is Azure Functions, the, the Azure storage and the blobs underneath that, all of those things, outages from those get protected due to having a massively distributed, effectively run on the edge, cached everywhere kind of model at home passwords. Like it's way, 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 way better than what it ever was before and it's way cheaper and it's way faster, but it's not infallible. And then sometimes people go, well, you should have two clouds. You should have like Azure and AWS. And so, oh, yeah, it's getting very complicated. Because then what are you doing? Like, are you building functions? Are you building lambdas? Uh, there are some things, maybe maybe some things that are more suitable for distributing over multiple individual clouds. But every time I've seen people have discussions about this, it, it, it seems to boil down to very, very large amounts of effort and plumbing for a very likely small gain. And there are use cases of that, but you end up with very, very niche use cases. Like if I want to orchestrate all of my things across multiple clouds, there needs to be a high enough degree of confidence that I'm going to have an outage on one of them, assuming it's a redundancy strategy. And also there needs to be enough benefit of having this model there if things do go out. Uh, and that's, that's getting very, very, very niche. So look, I think that's that's it on the comments. If anyone else has any questions about where we are here, now's the time to do it. I was a little bit tempted tomorrow, maybe we'll just do this with a Twitter stream or something like that. Uh, because just keep in mind, for most of you, I'm in the future at the moment. So it is Christmas Eve here. It's 7am uh, <laughs> on Christmas Eve. So I was a bit tempted tomorrow to maybe do one with Charlotte as well, just talking about, uh, not cyber stuff, but like, what's it like being in a hot place <laughs> for Christmas? I think for people watching this, and I did this consciously to pick up the end of the day in Europe as well, like you're probably somewhere cold and you have Christmas decorations and things like that around. Uh, obviously, it is it is not cold here. Still 27C at the moment. But also, we don't have, um, and, and this is a little bit sad, but it feels like we have very, very few Christmassy things here. So particularly compared to Christmases that I've had in the Northern Hemisphere, where there's a lot of Christmas stuff and then it's all like themed cold and all that kind of stuff. There's very little here. So even even on this island, like there's a few golf buggies that have got some tinsel wrapped around them. And that's basically it. There's a Christmas tree in the main entrance up there. And, and then what's what's a little bit weird about it here in Australia is um, there's there's still Santa and he's in a big bloody suit. Like a like the one you have in, say, the UK. <laughs> Poor old Santa's in there just melting. So we have this weird northern hemisphere definition of Christmases being cold, and you have things like little decorations of, of um, snowflakes. So, well, look where we are. I don't care about bloody snowflakes. So I think a lot of, like, the northern hemisphere Christmas concepts don't really translate down here, and as a result, we don't have a lot of that. 
so it's very different here. But look, um, we might talk about that tomorrow. We'll, we'll see how we feel. Uh, I think tomorrow is going to have a significant amount of time in our little pool there, having some uh, some Christmas cheer, and uh, yeah, just just totally totally taking it easy. All right, well, hey, thanks for watching this one. This is, I, I think this is probably going to go down as the nicest spot I've ever done this. Uh, I do have plans for things that I think will be nicer. Like, stay tuned. Not on this trip. Other things on the pipeline. Uh, we're going to get out there and see some good stuff. All right, thanks for watching, everyone. Hope you have an awesome Christmas in wherever you are, and uh, enjoy it. <laughs>